following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning. Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. We had a great one, actually. We uh, had an opportunity to go over to... uh, Alexandria, Louisiana, and spend some time with uh, 22 of our relatives over there at Karen's side, and uh, it's interesting, I'm preaching on demons. <laughs> Not that they were demons, but there was a lot of young ones there, and, uh, and they, <laughs> they, they sure know how to get in trouble. That's coming from a couple of people that don't have any kids, though, so, so the perspective is not so, not so great there. So today we're going to talk about Luke 8, 26 to 39, and it's about Jesus Christ and the rescue of, of a soul from, from, a, from demons in, in, uh, on, the, on the Sea of Galilee. So let's dig into that. Uh, I'll get started here. And uh, basically, the last half of Luke 8 gives us two incredible stories of Jesus combating both the forces of the physical world and the demon, demonic attacks of our heart in the spiritual world. These events were uh, a reminder, maybe even a warning, of how quickly we turn from faith in Jesus to self-reliance and faith in ourselves. Justin, last week, in teaching the first of the set of these two stories, the calming of the seas, or the storm, focused on Jesus' soul-penetrating question, where is your faith? And I asked, why is it in times of worldly trials and challenges that our trust in our Savior gives way to self-reliance. Even though Jesus has demonstrated his power and authority over the physical world with miracle after miracle, it seems like his followers, and that includes us, still don't trust the Lord's sovereign plan. The ones that, that during that time, and even us today, I know I have a hard time wanting to follow the Lord's sovereign plan and not rely on myself. In our text this week, which is Luke 8, 26 through 39, Jesus extends the demonstration of his power and authority to the spiritual world, just not the natural or physical world and events. This story in Luke 8 depicts the absolute power that Christ commands in the battle over who will control our soul, be it Satan or our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The the demoniac, the demon-possessed person in, in Luke 8, was without Jesus and his saving faith, and so he opened himself to the lies of the hosts of darkness, to Satan, and made himself vulnerable even to spiritual death itself. That's something I think we need to be very careful of. Without Jesus in our lives, Satan's out there, demons are out there, and they're going to be attacking us. With Christ in our life, it makes it much more difficult, and I would ask that you just you watch that. This wild man was clearly in the midst of a spiritual attack or storm in, in the, when Christ showed up on the shore of Sea of Galilee. Last week, week we looked at the physical storm as well as the storm in in the disciples' hearts uh, that uh, Jesus quelled both the storm and the the, uh, disruption in the hearts of his disciples. This text will demonstrate Christ's authority, though, over the spiritual world as well, so that we might see him for who he is and have that saving faith and trust in him. Instead of looking at these verses, though, from the usual reader's perspective, just reading the Bible and trying to understand it, I'm going to take a different approach to it today. I think I'm going to, it might be helpful to put us in the shoes of the participants in this story. 
But before we get too far along, let's take a little. Let's take a moment to read this text, and we'll go through that, and then we'll move into the detail of the of the of the story. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Luke eight. I think it'd be helpful. It's verses twenty six to thirty nine. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page eight sixty five, and uh, we'll start with verse twenty six. Then they sailed to the country of the Gardarenus, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land. There met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded, he being Jesus, that the unclean spirit to come out of, out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, that is, the demons had seized this individual, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert periodically. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. And he was called Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to, comment, not to command them to depart into the abyss. So the demons begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there, on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told, and they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what, what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the, the demons had, had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demons-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garden, garden, gardeness asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. That's Jesus. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, again with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away and proclaiming throughout the whole city what Jesus had done for him. Let's, before we dig into this, let's pray for the teaching of God's word. I think that's very appropriate right now. Heavenly Father, first we want to thank you for providing the spirit-breathed word. I would ask the Lord that you bless the teaching of your word. That would give the messenger the words to teach the truth that you intended to be taught. I also pray that you give your people the ears to hear and to listen to the Holy Spirit. I humbly request that you remove the weaknesses of this messenger so that your words are presented clearly and in a manner that will honor and glorify you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and dig in and see where we are. These events that we just talked about in the, in the scripture are recorded in three, three of the four gospels. So they're in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So 
it's you, you do a comparison, and there are a few differences in those uh, in those in those texts, with some very with, with some small variations. For example, Matthew told us that there were two demons, two demon possessed men in his version of this story, and Matthew and Mark used a different name for the area which the event took place, and uh, they used the name of a, near, a nearby area in the same geographical vicinity. As you might or might not expect, Luke, Luke leaves out these details and focuses just on the main event of the story of the, of the demoniac, the demon-possessed person, and his acceptance of Jesus. This focus on the basics is very Luke-like in my mind and reflective of the small differences in how a story can be related by different people. We see this frequently in the Bible, but generally, the, not generally, the topic is always the same, the same topic that we're trying to get to. The region of the Gardenus, I'm terrible with that name. I even looked it up this morning and tried to, tried to use Blue Letter Bible to tell me how to pronounce it, but I think it's Gardenus, lies across the lake from Galilee. This was pagan territory. To, and these people were believed to be mostly Gentiles who were not familiar with the miracles and the power of Jesus. We can assume this because, honestly, no self-respecting Jew would keep a herd of 2,000 pigs Pigs were considered unclean animals during those days, and Jews didn't eat pigs, they didn't keep pigs, or they didn't have anything to do with pigs. However, in a largely Gentile area, attending pigs would be an ordinary thing. So I think we can make that assumption that this was a heavily populated Gentile area, and we were looking at Gentiles who we're, we're dealing with right now. In this passage, I see three different responses in, the, in, these, in these passages to Jesus from three different perspectives. First, there's the demon and how the demon related to Jesus, and we're going to take a look at that from, from, from his view. So, or the, 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 actually, the person who was uh, possessed by the demons. Second, we're going to look at the townspeople and how they reacted to Jesus' uh, dealing with the, with the uh, possessed person. And third, there's the demonized man himself. Each act is in a different way, and each has a different response to Jesus. I think there's an important message when you look closely at how and why each reacted to Christ. I want to look through the eyes of each of these as they see Jesus in the power, in the power displayed. As we do, may the Spirit open your eyes to learn as much as we can about Jesus and ourselves. So let's put ourselves into the boat with the Jesus and the disciples and start there. They were physically and probably, they were most likely physically and emotionally exhausted from a day of jostling crowds from the other side of the Sea of Galilee fighting the life-threatening waves in their fears, and they were stunned and afraid because of the experience of seeing this Jesus, the one whom they had been following, was not, fully, was not only fully man, but fully God as he commanded the wind and the waves to be still. As they continued across the lake in the sudden quiet after the storm, I imagine they did so in humbleness and deep, deep contemplation, pondering the question that, Je that Justin posed last week, where is your faith? Being a disciple of Jesus and having your, 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 your God ask you that question is, is really I'd be quite dis disconcerting for me if I was sitting on that boat. Upon finally reaching the other side, the only noise was the gentle lapping of the water on the shore as the boat approached, a stark contrast from the crashing waves and deafening howling winds of the, and the panic of just hours or so ago on the Sea of Galilee. Just steps over the side of the boat and, and Jesus walks ashore and all of a sudden he runs into another storm. Out of nowhere, there's a piercing, haunting, blood-curling scream. This wounded, naked man appeared out of the graveyard and ran towards Jesus. His hair matted. His eyes were wide and wild. Seeing, but not really seeing. 
For years and probably decades, he had lived out in that cemetery and in the wilderness, in a spiritual wilderness, actually. On his wrists and ankles were remains of broken chains and ropes that had been previously used unsuccessfully to restrain him. He was covered in scars, as Mark tells in his version, because he used to go around cutting himself with stones. He threw his body to the ground before Jesus, yelling what we heard in the, in the, in the, uh, in the text. What have, you, what, ha- what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. This wild man we find from the biblical accounts was demonized. What is a demon? I think it's probably take a moment here to talk about demons because I think they're maybe misunderstood. But what is a demon? Many of our views of demons today have been framed, unfortunately, by television and movies. We imagine demons to be like the outlandish, ghoulish monsters from the netherworld portrayed in horror flicks, imaginary ghosts, or pointy-tailed characters perched on your shoulder talking in your ear. But that is not what they are at all. Charles Swindoll writes that they are real, but invisible creatures. Powerful, but not all-powerful. Demons are the devious, the insidious servants of Satan, the ruler of this world. And just like him, they are limited in their authority. Unfortunately, in our society, though, Many people treat demons in, the t- in two quite unhealthy ways, which are, are ironically probably polar opposites. C.S. Lewis has written in his introduction to his book, The Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about demons. One is to disbelieve in their evidence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both, if you make sense. As long as, you're, as long as they're attacking you and attacking the Lord, they'll be happy with either way they get to you. Some people today disbelieve in the existence of demons completely. They try to explain everything away by science or by coincidence or fate. They only believe in things that they can see, things made of physical material. And that is why they struggle to believe in not only demons, but they struggle to believe in God. Other people have an obsession with Satan and his, or his demons. They imagine them everywhere, blaming them for their ills, their circumstances, and even their sins. You might have heard the common phrase, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil didn't make you do it. You did it. And he might have tried to influence you, but we ultimately have to be responsible for what we do. And the devil did not make you do it. The proper understanding of demons is that they do exist and are very real. They are powerful and can even make, take control of people physically, as this account shows us. But as Christians, we need to remember that demons serve Satan, who has limited power, while we serve God, who has all power. We don't need to be scared or intimidated by demons, as we will see later. 1 John 4.4 4 says... For greater is he that is in you than he is that is in the world. Demons are of the world, while Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus will soon demonstrate in this text that that point. We'll come back to our passage now and get back and stop with the demon bit. (laughs) The demons, right there, the demons. The demons are yelling at Jesus not to destroy them in in this text. 
And Jesus has kind of an odd, odd response to that to me. In verse 30, just, he says, Jesus asks, what is your name? And, he, and the demon answered, Legion. For those of you who don't know, a legion is a Roman, ar- a group, a Roman army that could be as many as 6,000 people. Apparently, this wild-eyed man was under attack by Satan's army in its full force. And yet, with even a legion of demons inside the demoniac, it was evident they were terrified of Jesus. Upon the moment he set foot on the land, the demonized man came running up and fell on his knees before Jesus. They weren't kneeling as a sign of worship, but in a state of powerlessness and fear. It reminds me of what is said in uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you have these demons that are sitting there. They recognize who Jesus is. They're on their, they're on their knees. They're not worshiping him, but they recognize the power of Christ and asking, trying to figure out how to get out of there. The demons knew Jesus and were afraid. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? No, Jesus, had, Jesus hadn't met this demonized man before, but the devil and his demons know their enemy well. I think it is really interesting that the demons were more certain of who Jesus was then than his disciples were on the, on the Sea of Galilee. Remember the disciples asked after the storm in verse 25, who is this? The demons told them, it's Jesus, the son of the most high God, the one who has all power, all might, and all strength. No wonder they were bowing before him in, in terror. Matthew's account of this, of this story in Matthew 8.29 adds another, another comment that isn't in the other two versions of the, uh, of the text in, in uh, Luke and Mark. He reports to us that the demoniac also said, have you come here to torture me before the appointed time? Satan and his demons know that at a time appointed by God, they will be locked away in a place referred to as the abyss. Let's take a quick look at Romans 21 through 3 to see what the, when they're referring to abyss in this passage, what it is. And I and quote, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over, sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. We don't know too much about this, this concept of abyss, the place called the abyss, but from the text, from the limited information we have, it will be a, a place where God locks up Satan and some of his deme- demons, as stated in Revelation 20. It is a prison for those that oppose God and highlights God's ultimate power over all who would oppose him. So again, we have a very strong God. We have an all-powerful God. And we shouldn't be afraid of demons. So the demons in this man and man are scared of Jesus because he has the power to lock them up for good. Jesus' presence could only mean one thing, that their judgment in their mind was close and that they were petrified. And so they begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded with Jesus to let them go instead. The demons knew that they were in the presence of God. So Jesus allowed the demons to enter, this, enter these pigs, enter the swine. We really don't know why, 
But in the process, the demon's fear became realized when the herd of pigs unexpectedly stampeded, blindly charging right into the lake to rid themselves of, 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 the, of the demons. Many theologians theorize that they, and they believe that the, these demons were confined to the abyss at this point and that they await final judgment there for when, when, when the judgment day comes. What his disciples saw that day was that not only can Jesus calm the wild waves of the sea, but also he can even calm a wild, out-of-control demon-possessed person, as well as the demons themselves. Christ has control. It's his, it's, it's his plan. It's his world. Quickly, we see Jesus commands much more than just the physical, but all the powers of the universe. And we'll see that what he calls us to do is to overcome our fears and trust in him, no matter what, no matter what trials in front of us, no what tribulations are from him, Christ calls us to quell those fears and to trust him. So this was the response of the demons to Jesus. What was it? Fear and recognition of his authority. Like these demons, some people oppose God, and even though they have an understanding of who it is they are opposing, they see his authority and power, yet still refuse to submit to it. They are right to be fearful because they are facing off against the creator of this universe. It does not get any bigger than this. If you're going to uh, not submit somebody, you don't want it to be Jesus or God. For the others who oppose God, most of them have no idea of who God really is, nor do they care to find out. Are you opposing Jesus today? Do you think you don't need God and that you can live life your own way and somehow get away with it or explain it away on that day of judgment? Explain away the actions in your heart? Because if you do, you should be scared. If you're like the, uh, like the, the demons or people who don't recognize or don't, or don't recognize their, their, uh, their relationship with God, uh, you, you, have, you have a definite issue to face. I'd encourage you to find out who God really is. Although God is the, although God is the essence of love, he has a wrathful side with, with, that will ultimately be demonstrated to those who reject him. Don't ignore this fear. There is a wrathful side. The next response that I want to look at is the people of the Gardarenus Garder, Garder, region. These are the people that came out after, after, uh, after the pigs went into the water and uh, were, were very fearful when they arrived. Jesus allowed the demons to leave this man. Excuse me. <clears throat> Mark says there were about 2,000 pigs in this herd, so this is a, a lot of bacon we were talking about when we, when we talk about the pigs. Jesus gives them permission, and they entered their pigs. The, the demons entered the pigs. But this time, the, the pigs instead were the, were the, uh, the, not, the not the man, was, the, was the, uh, the thing that they were fighting. The entire herd goes crazy and races down the hill and into the lake and drowns. The pigs go from nice little pigs to psycho pigs. Literally, these demons were in there and, and changed the whole, whole look of those, of those pigs. Pigs would have been likely shocked and afraid by what they witnessed, so they take off into, sorry, not the pigs, the, 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 the gardeners would likely, the people who were watching this, the, the herders, witnessed, the, uh, witnessed this and took off to town to tell everybody the shocking story. 
But before long, the people of the town started to come out and confront Jesus. The dramatic destruction of the pigs, coupled with what happened to the demoniac, formed a tremendous display of Christ's power, though, as we see in verses 34 and 35. At the end of this passage, we're looking at Christ's power, the tremendous display of power, as we see the man was sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping Jesus, instead of roaming aimlessly among the tombs. He was now clothed instead of naked. He was in his right mind. So when the townspeople arrived, they find this picture of once an uncontrollable demoniac. He is now clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. This man who had been utterly uncontrollable was now fully healed and in his right mind. How could that be without Christ? But what is their response? What are the people of Gardarenus' response? They asked Jesus to leave. Can you believe that? Why? He had just healed the sickest man in town. Had to be. He performed a monumental miracle. And why did they tell Jesus to leave? Well, I believe the response is also a result of fear, but a different type of fear this time. This is not from a fear of Christ's power and authority, but a fear caused by the devastation they saw and darkness is caused in their heart as they likely considered the loss of their jobs and material goods more than they desired God. They did not know Jesus' love for them. They did not know the protection from Satan's force. He was providing, that Christ provided. They could only see this man that destroyed their ability to make a living. Who was this man? They didn't know Christ. What else was he going to do to them? What power he must have to transform the demoniac who is now sitting at his, uh, at his feet, clothed and no longer crazy? I'm sure they were scared. First, because they, uh, they don't understand this power, Christ's power, that can transform lives. What we don't understand, we are often scared of. And I think that's what you saw in, the, in these people. They were fearful of, of the Lord. And as a result, they wanted him to leave. That was the lesson we learned last Sunday morning with the, when the disciples were asked, where was their faith? We are called to have faith in God rather than fear. The disciples were fearing the storm and not having faith in Christ. Beyond the threat to their livelihoods, these people were also scared because this power to transform lives threatens to affect their choices for their lives. In other words, they don't control their own destiny. Their self-reliance is now under, under attack. The people must, from the town must have been wondering, what is going to happen to me if we, if we, get, if we let this guy stay? We can't let him stay. He's going to ruin our, ruin our town, ruin our city. Is my life and lifestyle, if my life and lifestyle, is, is my life and lifestyle going to be impacted by him? The answer to this question would have been for them, clearly yes, and in a positive way, but their worldly fear of change, no matter what that might mean, would not let them even address that equation or that question. Even the fact that the impact of the demonized man was hugely positive, the people were still fearful of the potential negative implications. They had their priorities, and they were wrong. The people of the Gardarenus are no different than us in reality. Did they focus on love and power needed to redeem and to transform the demoniac? Or did they dwell on the impact on how it may affect their lives, impact me? The reliance on self and desire to control your own destiny is a very powerful force that many times, many times drives us away from Jesus. That is the nature of man and probably one of the reasons for the fall in the garden even. We think this self-reliance is freedom but in reality, 
We are imprisoned by our fears and lack of faith. We are afraid to give up what we have to walk what we have to walk the path that Jesus has laid out for us. Do you really want to love that next door neighbor that leaves uh, his yard a mess, his home unkept? Are you afraid of the commitment Christ calls us to, to walk the path with him, to spread the gospel, to make disciples? Where is our faith? Does it really look different than the town's people? Well, honestly, for this audience, I'd say I think it does look different. But for many people, it doesn't look different. Remember, we have been adopted into the family of God and all the good that comes with this. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the spirit, but if by the Spirit you put death to the deeds of the body, you will live. Or all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all of the, that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is, to me, just an amazing thing. We've been, incredible thought that we can consider ourselves being adopted in sons of, sons of the Father, sons of daughters of God. The Gardarenas had the wrong, and I say this again, the wrong priorities. For them, their comfort, security, and status quo was more important than having a transformed life. Being the adopted sons of God and heirs to the kingdom. So they asked Jesus to leave. They rejected him because they were scared through and through and ignorant. But did Christ give up on them? We'll see in a moment. I think you know the answer. Does this, ref does this reflect our reaction to God this morning? Are we really ignorant of who Jesus really is and what is he is able to do in our lives? Are we too scared of change to see how much you really, uh, really need him? As a result, do you reject, do we reject Jesus, his truth, and his ultimate love? I, for me personally, I know I was scared of change, and I did not walk the path for Christ for many years because of it. My life was, my, and as a result, my life was kind of, kind of a mess for the middle, my middle years. What a loss that was for me. I was afraid of the commitment. I was selfish, not selfless. I was prideful, not humble. Is this you? It was me. I know I do not have it all right now, but I do have Christ now. And his love, grace, and mercy has overwhelmed any fears I had about giving up any worldly desires. Don't get me wrong about this. I am a long ways from perfect, a long ways. But I can say being one of God's children and part of God's community overwhelms what I perceived I would be giving up. Don't be scared of change. Turn your focus to the positive rather than the negative. Your life may not be easier, but it will be better. Christ has the power to make your life so much better. For me, I turned to Matthew eleven twenty eight many times because it makes my life better, especially in times of, of tr troubles and, and turmoil. It says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That, for me, is just a real, real uh, comfort in that I can rest myself when I talk to the Lord, talk to God that I have, a, have the ability to do that and be able to rest my problems and rest my, my troubles with the Lord. Now, there's one other person that's still left in this, in this, uh, in this triad, and that's the, the demoniac, the demon-possessed person. The last response shown in the story is that of the demonized man. 
Though he couldn't be tied down with ropes or chained up, he was a prisoner, though, controlled by a legion of demons. But what a transformation from a man terrorized, from a man who terrorized the whole community and wreaked a trail of destruction all around him, including himself, he became a man who's now as normal as you or me. Well, maybe you. I'm not sure I'm that normal yet, so, but I try to be. This man knew himself. The transformation that occurred in verse 38, we read, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. The man was grateful and wanted to become a disciple of Jesus, the one who had changed his life. But Jesus said, to, said no. He had a far greater witness to God's amazing power among those who uh, knew what he was like before. So Jesus commissioned him as an evangelist to tell others, and that is what he did. The demoniac's response we see is the, uh, the response of a transformed individual, a transformed life. Jesus calls people to himself to be changed, not to, not to stay your, your old self. He calls us to become a new person, to be born again and to be transformed. And then he sends them out as his witnesses to share the hope they have with those around him, the Great Commission. The townsfolk had rejected Jesus out of ignorance, but Jesus had not rejected them. The transformed man could inform them of who Jesus was and help change that ignorance to repentance. What a wonderful opportunity and great hope for us, for the people we have in our lives that do not know Christ. Have you trans been transformed by Jesus? If you have, the next question has to be, are you sharing the gospel? Are you telling others about Jesus? If he has transformed you, you, you've got an amazing story to tell, and I think you should be telling it. Which character do you most closely resemble as you sit here today? Do you openly oppose God? I don't think there's too many of us in here that do that. You know who he is, but you are opposing his work. If that is you, you need to be scared because you are facing off against a big God, an all-powerful God. Allow Jesus to become your savior. Take up your place in God's army, which will be the victorious army in the end. We know the story, how it ends. Are you ignorant about God and more concerned with your pigs? You don't understand God and you are scared that he will demand you to change your life in a way which you don't like. Do you do that? You're ignorant to who Jesus really is and what he wants for the best for you. And so instead of welcoming him, you hold him at arm's length or even tell him to go away. You reject him. If that is you, you need to find out the facts about who this Jesus is and what he can do for you. We'd be happy to talk with anybody who really doesn't know Jesus in their life today. If you want to talk to somebody, there's just, just ask somebody in the audience. We'll get somebody that will be happy to talk to you. Jesus is and what he, Jesus is and what he can do for you. If, you. if you find out the facts, you'll find that Jesus is what he says he is. He wants, to, he wants to transform your life and make it one that serves his purpose, not our worldly goals. Lastly, are you open to be transformed or have you been transformed? We just talked about this, but if you've accepted God's gift, that is Jesus as your savior, 
You are transformed, and you need to be witnessing to that fact. You need to be telling others about Jesus and what he has done for you. You need to be that light in the darkness that draws others to God. You can start tomorrow, but quite frankly, it'd be better to start this afternoon. Tell your friends, your coworkers, about God's power and goodness. Make your townspeople, your workplace, or some other group your many. Justin has challenged us all to, to have our many and to share our gospel transformation stories within our circles of influence. I would call you to do the same thing. We do not need to experience the radical transformation that the uh, demon, demonic man experienced to know what we are called to, spread, to, called to do, to spread the gospel. No, we have the word of God, Christ's great commission, and even better, the power of the indwelled Holy Spirit in our heart that continually convicts us to go out and make disciples and to spread the gospel. What more do we need? For those that have a healthy fear of the Lord, like the demoniac now, they will sing the praises and the virtues of the word of God and their Lord Jesus Christ. I would ask you to give up your self-reliance. Do not fear your walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus, but to run the good race. Our many need all of us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the creator of all things, the one and only true God that has shown his grace and mercy through his gifts of his son Jesus, who was sacrificed for our sins that we might have eternal life. We ask boldly that you, Lord, will take the fear out of our heart so we may replace it with your transform transforming love. We ask that you use this love as a tool in our lives to show your word to those who do not know it, those who do not believe, to those that need your gospel message. We ask you to give the strength required to further share your word with those who are, are many, that we share your love with those that are in our circles of influence. We ask you to show your wisdom to us so they can come to know you and to them, to come to know your saving grace and come love you as we have. We ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.